everybody. Welcome to Game Studies Review. I am one of your hosts, Alex Lane, joined by the other host, Cody Reimer. I'm super excited. We got something weird, something new. We've been gone for a little while. Um, not that we had, didn't record an episode in the inter- interim, but it's the one that will never be aired. So I'm going to leave that out Secret there. episode. Secret episode. Um, but we got something weird and exciting for you today. Maybe, or maybe it will suck, but that's all right. We will release this, even if it sucks. Uh, <laughs> But Cody, we are committed to content. That's right. Uh, Cody, thanks for being here. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm I'm much better now that the semester is uh, pretty much done. I'm just working on um, an article for conference proceedings and then an article revision. But uh, life is good. I'm excited to see you in a waffle shirt. Whenever I see a waffle shirt, I think of you. Really? Yeah. It's like one of your jams. It's like part of your essence. The old standby. The old standby. Waffle shirts, a pipe, and some elbow patches. Dr. Cody Reimer. Yeah, this shirt does have <laughs> elbow patches. Ah, yes, of course it does. Uh, so, also Arby's reminds me of you. But not the pee in the milkshake variety, the barbecue sandwiches. Did you hear Arby about the pee in the milkshake? No, I did not hear about any, any such don't, thing. Don't Google it. All right, especially if you like Arby's. Okay, okay so I, today what we're going to do is I've read a book that Cody has not read and we haven't prepped for this. We don't have any show notes. Um, I we're just going to have a conversation as if we met at a coffee shop and Cody's like, what you been reading lately, Alex? And I'm going to be like, here, this is what. And we're going to just go from there. The book uh, that we're going to talk about is Treacherous Play by Marcus Carter. It's part of the MIT Playful Thinking um, series, the series which I love because the books are short and generally fun to read interesting etc i like that series it's been a great series this this one has been on my to read list so i'm really excited to hear uh what you think about it well all right do you want me to do a little introduction yeah uh all right so this book is about treacherous play as the title suggests um marcus carter does a really great job uh at the beginning differentiating treacherous play from other kinds of play, dark play, cheating, transgressive play, morality, griefing, trolling, goes into some of the misconceptions about treacherous play, um, kind of defines it, sets it up, talks about why we should care about it, and then goes into a few extended examples, those being primarily EVE Online. Uh, have you played EVE Online? I haven't. That's uh, that's Spreadsheet Simulator, right? Spreadsheet Simulator? Can well, that's, sim- that's the joke, right? Like. Um, I, I, anytime I read about it, um, it's people like who are into the Eve community and Eve game have like massive spreadsheets um, mm-hmm. that are essential, like you know, to to playing. They are uh, kind of paratext, whatever, for navigating the you know the spaces in that game. But I love reading about the stories about how like massive amounts of in real you know of real life currency and dollars in plex are like lost in these space battles like mm. you know the the uh ships have a like monetary value in real life because of the um fact that you can and i'm gonna slaughter this and so eve fans can come in and correct but <clears throat> there's like plex or or some sort of in-game currency uh, that has a relationship to subscription cost. And so you can like farm in-game currency and use that to pay your subscription hmm. for the game, which you can also use dollars to pay for. And so there's like a link between sure. the in-game currency and the real life dollar. 
And so like when dreadnoughts or these massive, you know, space ships that require hundreds of people all channeling and pooling their resources to build when there's a big space battle and there's like dozens of those ships um, on each side and they start getting blown up, uh, which, which seems to happen every couple of years, mm-hmm. um, you know, like thousands of dollars of real life, you know, currency valued in the game are like erased in the span of you know a couple of hours it's always interesting to read about the kind of politics and machinations that go into that kind of stuff um but anytime it's described people get interested in it they're like oh yeah it's a spreadsheet simulator you just stare at spreadsheets the whole time and talk to people it's like well it's the perfect example to kind of set up what's at stake here because behind the scenes of that battle is years of treacherous play um PVP treacherous play and espionage treacherous play in this particular example. So there is a lot going on behind the scenes that we can get into. Um, Daisy is the uh, second example. Uh, And Survivor, the show, is is the third. And I like um, it. It's so it's so interesting, so fun to read. Uh, the des- and then designing treacherous play, like how you design for for this kind of thing, and and there there's all sorts of really interesting stuff going on. Um, so I'm really interested in three things that you've said so far. I'm curious about the definition. You okay. said that uh, Carter kind of situates the definition in amongst in amongst all of these things. I'm curious if you've got like a pulled definition mm-hmm. or you want to try to paraphrase a definition. So I'm curious about that. You said that. Carter talks about the value of of treacherous play, and I'm curious about how uh, they frame the value. Uh, and then I'm really curious about um, the the design aspects and how you design to kind of cultivate or foster sort of uh, safe or ethical or or you know whatever uh, conscientious uh, patterns for designing that kind of play. So what, what do you got for me? Treacherous play be ethical. This is a question throughout the entire book. Very interesting. Excellent points to pick up on. Um, I will also say that like, I haven't played Eve online and I haven't played Daisy and I've read about it, but I'm really wasn't familiar with it. And Carter does like just the best job using those as examples with, um, interviews and, and ex- like an extended example like the battle you just gave is so good, so good to get in there to those examples. So what is treacherous play? So uh, first he talks about that there's a bunch of assumptions about it, that it's unethical, it's antisocial, that treacherous players are bad people, that it's akin to griefing, like there's is all this, these- Is this a straw man? Because I feel like that's ridiculous. Like treacherous play, and maybe it's just because I know about Eve, and I know about some of the kind of examples to, to think that it's antisocial. I don't How does he set it up as let me as these let things? me pay? Well, well, OK, so let's say I walk into Daisy. I'm a mama new character. I'm just walking around. I find this is probably going to butcher a little bit too. find something sweet on the ground, like a little gun. I still am just wearing my underwear because I don't have anything. I'm noob. But I find this cool gun, I'm walking, and some guy, or maybe it's not even that cool, just a little something, like a bullet. Maybe I've had one bullet. Some guy walks up and he's like, hey, what's, you know, oh, I'm so glad. Welcome to the game. You know, that's cool. Um, Let's, uh, why why don't we do this? And I'll show you this cool area. And I'm like, sweet, thanks. And then we start walking, and then he stabs me and takes my stuff. Okay, so I have been betrayed by this treacherous player who pretended to befriend me and then stole my stuff or am I uh, so anyway so that player rage quits and is like that game's stupid I 
spawn and two seconds later somebody like takes all my stuff and murders me sure so those people are like i hate this that player's a monster and i'm never playing that game again mm-hmm. same with eve you work super hard big awesome guild it's got its own web page it looks very legit it's got a, you know all this stuff and he says well okay if you want to get in on this next chance for this big battle you'll get all this stuff blah 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 you need to put down 140,000 what 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 is the currency in eve plex plex i think there's another like layer of currency that i'm forgetting but yeah something like that um plex and you can join up and we'll do this cool thing and they're like oh my god thank you so much blah 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 blah. and they you know you do your due diligence you do your research it's a real guild 10 years experience all these blah blah blah, and give them the money and the person sends you a laugh emoji and the middle finger and just takes your money. Rage quit, a ton of money into this game, backstabbed. I think the leap of those are bad people, they're antisocial because they're taking advantage of naivete uh, is not that big of a leap. Uh, so I wouldn't say straw man. I don't know if people in the scholarly world would say that, um, but people in this in the scholarly world don't talk about treacherous play very much. No, mostly well, let's go like back to stuff. Go ahead. to definitions, I guess. Then, because I'm I'm curious how uh, Carter positions treacherous play mm-hmm. opposite like griefing, because it sounds like yeah, there's maybe some treachery in those two examples you gave, but they yeah. also sound pretty shallow or superficial. Which again, you're just like whipping them up um, from. You know, yeah, he's got whatever. a whole chapter. And he's got, you course. know, probably richer ones. But so let's start with, you know, rhetoric 101, define your terms. How is he defining treacherous play? Okay, so treacherous play has, uh, let's see, here's the assumptions. I got to like go through my little notesies here. Um, treacherous play, and this is specifically like a, in definition to like a, uh, I mean, in, in opposition to something like griefing. So treacherous play the game. Um, here's a here's a quote. Um, do, 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 and this is similar to um, this is using Wynn and Zagal's uh, illusory goal. Quote: hmm. the in-game goal we establish that established that is contingent on a series of unnecessary obstac- obstacles. So treachery in these games to establish betrayal as an expected obstacle is crucial to understanding its appeal and experience. So in order for it to be treacherous play, as opposed to something like griefing, it needs to be an expected obstacle in the game. So in EVE Online, in Survivor, um, in DayZ, they like EVE Online's tagline is trust no one, right? So right. The, the social interaction the trust, uh, like that has to be, and if if not, then it's more griefing. If you're going into a game and just like murdering people and taking their stuff and that's not supposed to be part of the game or whatever. So he's saying that for it to be treacherous play, that needs to be an established obstacle right. of the game. Does that satisfy that part? Does that make sense to you? Absolutely, because then that that raises a bunch of really interesting questions about how do you design the game to communicate that obstacle um, in such a way that makes it part of the fun of playing the game. Yeah. And while also not alienating new players uh, who might encounter that obstacle before they really 
you know, find value or, or joy in the game, you know, in, and uh, get to experience the kind of core gameplay loop or, or some of the kind of key mechanics that make mm -hmm. the game uh, enjoyable. Well, so the designing for treacherous play, um, I, I can, I will go, I wonder if I should go back to like finishing the definition or just. Oh yeah, fin um, let's finish the definition. Okay, Hold on. I gotta get to the, uh, the, let's see. The lawful use of deception to betray another person in a multiplayer game by choice where it provides an in-game advantage. Okay. Let me read again. Sure, the sure. lawful use of deception. I'm, I'm emphasizing the words that he emphasizes. Lawful okay. use of deception to betray another person in a multiplayer game by choice where it provides an in-game advantage. That sounds like a lot of italics. A lot of italics. So that would be the definition. So I'm curious about the lawful part of that, but but let's let's I, maybe put a pin in that. This I, reminds me a little bit of um, I was listening to um, Shlomo uh, share and uh, Andy Ashcroft's the Ethics in Video Games podcast. Have you listened to that one? Ah, uh, they've got um, a couple of of episodes on like. Um, is it ever morally wrong to fantasize about like doing immoral things in video games? Yes. And so like this seems is, very much in line with like being treacherous. That is exactly, that is exactly <clears throat> the question um, put. And I don't think, I think like Carter does a great job in not necessarily taking one side or another, but making some connections to existing theories, uh, reversal theory, theory and assholes, um, a bunch of uh even like aristotle and sickarts in here like and just makes these connections and talks about like what so for example there's a quote uh how you choose to play may not say a lot about you um i think i can't remember exactly the person he goes to for this but he looks at that like people who betray people in eve online there was a study i think it was e or maybe it was daisy um they're not doing that behavior in real life like there wasn't necessarily yeah. any more than someone else that chooses not to betray somebody in that game so the way you choose to play the game to deceive to not deceive doesn't say anything about your morality as a player however there is a connection um, between the games you choose to play and aspects of who you are for example daisy eve online care to guess what the homogenous 99.9 percent .9 of the player base looks like uh white male dude bros i don't know i don't know if that was in the research but male so you and I don't remember. I don't think they made the connection to, I don't think Carter made the connection to race. So, but the players are almost, almost a hundred percent male in this type of treacher, like type of game that allows treacherous play. Sure. So there's like some sort of connection between the game you choose to play and aspects of your real life identity, but not necessarily connections beyond that about like if you choose to be treacherous or not. So anyway, yeah. Um, but yeah, the morality aspect of it, um, Carter certainly comes down on the play you play treacherous play in and of itself is not unethical there's still a set of moral standards for example there is always he gets into in here there's always things that are off limits even in day z you're not there's was it maybe kidnapping I think kidnapping was like 
not looked upon positively. Um, there's things that are Can you kidnap in your game? Like how, they, how does that? I think some you could at first and then they maybe coded it out. Um, but they were like, yeah, we want you to play treacherously, but that's not that's not sure. how we're going to do that or something. I can't remember exactly how it is, but there are things that are off limits, even if they are allowable by the by the interface in the game. There are things that are off limits, even to treacherous players. Um, and he's really looking at treacherous play as the use of social deception to best somebody. So right. like very akin to a sports competition like you want to use your abilities against another player and win and but but socially meaning it is largely untethered from the mechanics of the game yes. right it is about player to player interaction set and apart from what the the like uh game is coded to afford and instead in what it cultivates through the kind of culture and community of the of the game an unnecessary obstacle. Yes, the deception is an unnecessary obstacle. You don't have to. Sure. You don't have to deceive people in order to move forward in the game. That's not part of it. It's unnecessary. Right. But that's but that's like using your wits against somebody else to best them is what in the interviews with the players who play treacherously, that's almost always what they go back to. That gives them this this total high they just that's the part that they love that they bested another human being through yeah. their wits so and then backstab them um okay so anyway so let's get into designing for treacherous play uh they carter lays out five principles relationships between players must be ambiguous so it's not coded into the game it's not clear you should have mentors and mentees. The experienced players need to act like this. That's not there. Um, right. it, it is ambiguous. Players must be able to openly communicate. If you can't communicate, then the idea of treacherous play doesn't exist. So teabagging somebody from the opposite team when you can't talk or exchange pleasantries or whatever, like that's not part of treacherous play. That's griefing or trolling or killing them over and over or something like that. That is that's really interesting because I feel like there is a strong shift in a lot of um game design to move away from open chat and to really just uh limit that so that there's no need for moderation. It's like all right, you get emojis and you can mute other people's emojis and that's it. Right. Like yeah. the, the hearthstone approach um i'm seeing uh, widely adopted and to to prevent needing to moderate but that completely cripples or or um eliminates the possibility for treacherous play so that's that's absolutely absolutely in there and like it's very i mean people take advantage of it and then play treacherously or grief or troll or i mean i think most of it's like spewing racist and sexist remarks well right so that that's the that's the interesting design problem then is if you want to make a treacherous game you've got to and you don't want it to quickly devolve into a toxic cesspool um of bigotry and racism and sexism and stuff um you've got to moderate it or maybe there's overlap between the fact that it's predominantly you know guys who are playing these games and um you know the that demographic and that this kind of design for communication leaves open the possibility of all of those sexist toxic things i don't yep. know Inter nope. interesting you're 100 right i would 
this is playful thinking, so it's short, but that certainly is an area that needed needed to be examined for my, so I felt uh, satisfied in that area. Uh, the game has interactions that require players to trust each other. So that's not that the game forces interactions, but they have a, available interactions. You can trade, you can give people stuff. Um, play must be consequential. So you don't just kill one player over and over and over for no reason. It's because you are gaining something. In fact, a lot of the treacherous players seem to think that like just going after new players to kill them or to like fuck with them just for that was unethical. They're like, but the point is getting their stuff. That's the whole point of the treacherous play. Um, getting their stuff and then the feeling good that you bested them. But if the stuff isn't there for you to take, then it's not treacherous play. It's just, I don't know, being a griefer. And treacherous play must take place within the rules of the game. So there are rules of the game, coded or social or whatever, and the treacherous play needs to take place within those rules in order for it to be treacherous play. You can't, uh, the example I think was like maybe a World of Warcraft like glitch where a player got somewhere and was just like up on top of a building where no one had ever been before and or in a hole in the universe and like just killing every player that walked by. Like that was not supposed to be within the rules of the game. So that right. would not count as treacherous. Not a creative use of game mechanics. Not a creative use of game mechanics. Exactly. Or, or creative use of game terrain. And then um, there's two dominant patterns. These aren't necessarily like rules for designing for treacherous play, but two dominant patterns that Carter sees. It's almost always a dystopian landscape and there's a clear ceiling on what is acceptable. Like I said, I think the kidnapping part in Daisy um, came up as where the treacherous play was like, pushed to a limit does carter talk at all about the boundaries of play for eve because from what i've read um a lot of the like treachery that happens socially happens like around and outside the bounds of like the game itself yeah um does he get into that at all yeah he talks about that like extensively um the primary okay. it's uh, like in daisy the primary method of treacherous play is PVP. But mm -hmm. in Eve, it's espionage. So right. for months, possibly years, uh, somebody embeds their a character with an opposing faction and um, does a few things, gathers information to pass on to their own faction. Where are the battles? Where are the or where are the planets? Where are the defenses, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but what I found the most interesting as I was reading through, particularly for today's political landscape, is that that they found the most effective way to dismantle your enemy is to become part of their group and then disseminate misinformation. So that does a few things. It um, uh, this is a stuff that's a straight from Carter that he's talking about. It um, let me see here. I have this written down. I don't want to screw this up. It it introduces stress. So they said the quickest way to take down an opposing faction, introduce stress and demoralize them. So talk about, oh, there, this battle is going to happen now. Oh, no, it doesn't happen. Oh, this, there's an outpost here. Oh, no, there's not. Oh, there's this. Oh, no, there's not. And you do this disinformation over and over. And then the people are so, or, um, or X person is actually um, a plant from an opposing faction. And it turns out not to be true, but like the damage is done. Everybody's stressed. Everybody's demoralized. And very quickly, the group can will disseminate because um, disintegrate because they just don't they don't like believe in the mission anymore. 
And that just, to me, like really reflects, like if you read about Russian propaganda campaigns, they don't introduce, they don't push their own stories. They push fake stories and then prove them to be fake. And you do that enough and nobody believes what's fake and what's real. And so they don't believe anything. And they're right. just totally stressed. They're totally demoralized and there's no platform to stand on. And all of a sudden the society starts to disintegrate. And that's like a, was it like 1980s Russian tactic? Play, no, uh, nothing is true and everything, and is, everything is false. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every, nothing is true and everything is possible. That's right. Yeah. Um, so it's that same tactic that is used all the time in EVE. And that's what people report as being the most effective. That makes sense. Yeah. I wonder if it's, um, you know, just a certain demographic of player finds that kind of play, finds treacherous play enjoyable, or, you know, if it's the kinds of demographics that that are drawn to those games, um, or, or, or rather the, the design space needed to facilitate that kind of game, uh, you know, pushes out other kinds of players or, or a bit of both, or, you know, that's, it's an interesting it's interesting that it's so predominantly, you know, men uh, or, or masculine in its demographic. Yeah, it's my number one question and my number one gap that I found throughout reading this article is who gets to play treacherously and yeah. not just like who gets to play treacherously in general, but like the PVP. And he makes the point like we're not good at seeing the consequences of treachery, the immediate consequences of treachery. We're not good at doing that. So like even in these big guilt like big groups that are taken down like people like don't they're, they're not good at connecting those dots um and so who is it that gets the most fulfillment from taking one opposing player getting them to trust you and then killing them and taking all their stuff versus who is the most excited to join for a year another faction and just see disinformation I mean, yeah, I'm curious, like that, that is a good question because right. The, it feels like there, the payoff is so little for, that's right. you know, so many, right. Uh, one person gets fun and a lot of other people don't. So there's gotta be something going on mm -hmm. where others are getting satisfaction from, you know, like the stories that emerge from the treacherous play, right? Like sure. the, the drama of uncovering spies and, you know, sleuthing out the misinformation plants and, and things like that, that, that is, is part of the draw or fun because if it's nothing but like, Oh, I'm getting stressed out because I don't know what's real. <laughs> you know, like we've got enough of that in our lives. <laughs> we don't need to go and get that from games. Um, and not everybody gets to be the, you know, cool spy who's infiltrating mm -hmm. and not everybody gets to be the one who is stabbing others in the back and taking their stuff. So, you know, there's there's got to be another avenue for fun built into the game. Right. That uh, obviously like treacherous play isn't the sole reason for the game. It's just, Absolutely. you know, the un. Um, and not uh, and most players don't play treacherously in these games. Most right. people find more enjoyment banding together. Yeah. And accomplishing this stuff despite the 10% that choose to play the that uh, treacherously despite the chance that someone could undo all of your work so i wonder if if like the the treacherous play um afforded in the game's design heightens the stakes for the other players such mm -hmm. that um the risk of it 
makes their efforts feel all the more right like mm -hmm. um savored mm -hmm. yeah. i think that yeah i think that's exactly what's going on because if you just wanted to play a game where people didn't betray you then you have most games to choose from right. most and games you, don't don't have that yeah and if you wanted to play you know only a deception game or a treachery game you'd play a social deception game right like who you know yeah. werewolf any of those yeah. so th this is a, a kind of interesting examination then I'm, i i want to read the book this sounds this sounds great what's what would you say like i think you the should. the bottom line or the the big <laughs> takeaway for the book is well i want to answer at the very beginning you had another question for me and it's <laughs> yeah um like why were you said i don't want to know why we should study this why does this yeah. matter um, and I have a really good quote, and this is about Daisy, but I think it applies to Treacherous Play overall. Uh, Daisy is an amazing example of a game that offers us access to a broader range of human emotions, and the lack of explicit winning conditions provides a sandbox that encourages players to explore these darker aspects of the human experience. I think it's a mistake to code the darker side of play out of every game that we have available to us. I think that stunts our understanding of play, and that stunts the full range of what play allows us to do if you like you go back to the classic example of puppies you know like puppies no one teaches them how to play but they also don't play you know cards they're they play fighting you know like they they're acting out biting each other's necks and pushing each other over like they are doing something unsafe in a safe way in in order to like explore that aspect and i i think treacherous play allows us to in a safe way but still with stakes that matter a lot because otherwise why do it allows us to explore a side of our our humanity that if you just keep coding it out then games don't give us what they've always given us which is a, a place to play around with this whether dark or light or evil or good or whatever or gray so, or gray <laughs> yeah exactly so i i I think, I think that these types of games are super important, and I'm really, really glad to see Carter digging into them in such a neutral way. And like, hey, this type of play is here. We can't ignore it, and we can't pretend that the people who do it are just ass. Well, we can't. There is a lot about ass. The theory of assholes. So I don't want to use that, but we can't just pretend that these are garbage people that don't that aren't worth our time to like think about and investigate. I think that's a huge sure. mistake and oversight. Yeah. So that's what that I sounds like a great book. I'll, I'll mail it to you. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining me on this weird uh, podcast. And hopefully it was helpful for the listeners. Um, I suggest that you go pick up this book. Actually, is this one free? I believe this one might be free um for educators there's there's a handful of mit books that they made uh freely available uh this summer so this might even be one of the free ones i think so anyway go check that out and if it's not this one there's a bunch of really good ones in the series that you can get um that would be my suggestion and i i think we have another uh treacherous play adjacent article coming up in the next couple weeks if we can get access to it and and review of that so uh i look forward to talking about that cody Thanks for having me.